dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I'm sharing another audio recording of the online seminar I attended from the Oregon Wine Board. This week, we are discovering Rogue Valley. Directly from their site, Southern Oregon is home to many international varieties that are thriving and garnering a lot of attention. With distinctively crafted wines from vineyards among the best in the world, the Rogue Valley is a community of accessible, craft-driven wine growers fueled by the awe of our wild and scenic valley, who invite explorers, bakers, and inspiration seekers to discover and connect with the natural wonders of Oregon's Rogue Valley. This seminar, once again, led by Master of Wine, Bree Stock. While you're listening, please take a moment to rate and review Exploring the Wine Glass. Ratings are now available pretty much wherever you are listening to this podcast. It is the best way to support Exploring the Wine Glass by allowing others to find it. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the fourth installment of Oregon Wine Month webinars. And today we're exploring the Rogue Valley. Um, I'm David DeWitt. I'm the Trade Relations Manager for the Oregon Wine Board. Bree is our Director of Education. She is an MW. Um, she's been doing a great job. This is her fourth, and we're really excited to talk about the Rogue Valley. Um, it's a really dynamic and, and wild um, growing region um, with, with fantastic wines. Bree, I will let you take it over. Thank you, David. Uh, and as David mentioned, um, please put any questions into the chat. Um, or Q&A section and David and I will be monitoring those and trying to answer them as swiftly as possible. Uh, today we're exploring one of my favorite regions in the state. Uh, it's such a diverse and just breathtakingly stunning um, region um, that every every turn is is completely different. Um, it's incredibly mountainous, um, incredibly uh, wild with amazing rivers, um, and is just a real treat to be able to explore. And because of all of those. Um, the complex diversity of the microclimates and the geography itself, um, we're capable of growing several different varieties down here. So we're gonna get into uh, what sets each region apart in the Rogue Valley and talk a little bit about the wine styles and varieties that come from here. So we'll give you some background first. Uh, so we are jumping right on into Southern Oregon. So you can see here the Willamette Valley is further north, um, about 150 miles from Portland is where the Southern Oregon AVA begins. It was established in 2005 as an all-encompassing uh, AVA that spreads from just south of Eugene uh, all the way down to the California border and really encompasses two distinctive uh, growing regions. And we're going to talk about the Umpqua Valley, which is the um, Southern Oregon's northern partner um, in next week's webinar. And today we're going to focus on the more southerly Rogue Valley. Um, there are several thousand acres planted here. The entire Southern, Southern Oregon AVA um, is, a, is just a little under the size of the Willamette Valley. Um, and planted area is, is increasing swiftly across both um, AVAs, but really notably in the Rogue Valley, um, there's a lot of uh, interest and diversity in plantings taking hold down here. I want to point out to you on, on this map, um, just some of the major um, geographical um, influences that really impact uh, some of the uh, grape growing, the distinctiveness of the region down here. 
So Rogue Valley is, is right in the south. It's higher elevation than both the Umpqua Valley and uh, the Willamette Valley. It's some of the highest elevation vineyards in the state where vineyards generally start around 1,000 feet to 2,000 feet in elevation, which makes for a pretty dramatic um, area to be able to plant grape varieties. As you can see on this map as well, the region is really crisscrossed by river systems. And again, these river systems help to provide varied bench lands, different aspects of slope. And so down in the Rogue Valley, more than anywhere else in the state, you see people planting on both north and south facing um, hillsides, which are, allow you to plant um, very different grape varieties depending on uh, the northerly or southerly exposure. We also have Again, the Pacific Ocean to the west, uh, which is buffered um, uh, by the Siskiyou Mountains. So the impact of that Pacific Ocean is really uh, buffered by the Siskiyou Mountains in the southwest of the state. And that helps protect the Rogue Valley and specifically the Illinois Valley, which is the outer valley there, um, and the Applegate Valley. We'll talk about that a little more as we dig into it. Um, and then as we move to the east, we again have those more volcanic um, and down here really um, basalt um, columns, very dramatic um, volcanic cascade ranges. And, um, and then south along the California border is the Klamath Mountain Range as well. So very um, protected and sheltered in those areas as well. So just uh, keep this orientation in mind and I'll bring these maps up um, again quite often as well. Um, but again, that south and north um, aspects facing vineyard slopes allow us to plant everything from Pinot Gris and Chardonnay through to Pinot Gris, Riesling, Syrah, Tempranillo, Tanat, uh, you name it, it is in the Rogue Valley. So Southern Oregon as an AVA as a whole is uh, the largest, uh, second largest growing region in the state. It makes up for about 24% of the entire vineyard plantings in the state. Um, and again, that unique um, diverse geology, uh, the carved out rivers and mountain streams really create for many different varieties to thrive. And as you can see, Pinot Noir is still dominant in Southern Oregon. However, there's several other grape varieties that are swiftly taking up space um, in all of these vineyards. And again, the Rogue Valley is really only limited by the creativity and uh, plant material that's actually available. There's a real curiosity um, to, the, to the wine growers and winemakers and grape growers down in this region. And they really uh, love to explore and are not phased by anything. And because of of all of the varied um, climates and river systems, um, a lot of grape varieties can be grown really successfully, very high quality um, and really affordable as well. Um, so a great region to come and explore um, if you're able to get out this way. It's uh, not too far from San Francisco as a drive um, and is about five hours drive from Portland. <laughs> so we'll jump into the climate so the temperature in the Rogue Valley and precipitation is much, um, it's much warmer during the growing season and much cooler during the winter with a much heavier snowfall um, and, and cool weather uh, coming into the fall and, and winter months. So the, the um, snowpack in the winters are really um, providing any irrigation waters that are, um, in, you know, in pretty much essential for grape growing in the Rogue Valley. Um, there are some pockets of vineyards where you don't require um, irrigation, but the majority of vineyards are requiring irrigation in this area simply because of the heat and then the very um, alluvial and quickly draining soils in the area. It's one of the warmest um, AVAs in Oregon, and um, the, the temperatures in the summer are very much, um, you know, like the Willamette Valley in the north, but they're extended um, into this uh, summer period. So in the north, uh, we'll generally have, you know, a couple of days in the, in the 90s um, and high 80s. 
but in the south in the Rogue Valley, that, those temperatures really do push up um, pretty quickly beginning uh, in May and coming through into the end of September. So pretty dry, uh, driest area in the state. Um, but what is really important here and what is sort of essential to the style and quality of the wines in this area um, being very vibrant and having incredible acidity, incredible uh, fruit purity and ripeness is the fact that they have this long dry growing season, uh, but they have a very large diurnal temperature swing. So that temperature difference between nighttime and daytime temperatures really allows uh, for the acids in the grapes to be preserved and for the grapes to recover from the heat of the day um, in the early afternoon and into the evening when the temperature drops significantly. Another factor in this valley is that the winds, because of the uh, vast um, uh, river and uh, mountain systems, these winds that uh, you know push in from the Pacific Ocean, um, the area the, of the valley heats up in the center and really creates a vacuum that sucks in these Pacific Ocean winds in the late afternoon. And so these winds um, will really drive through these valleys, the Applegate and Illinois valleys first and foremost, and then into the Bear Creek Valley, um, the, which is the eastern side of the, of the Rogue Valley. And these winds can really um, shut down the stomatas in the plants and again, sort of delay that ripening. So you're getting this very protracted ripening over a long, warm, dry summer. Um, and it really adds to A, the quality, but also the, um, the, just the number of grape varieties that you're able to grow here successfully. So again, um, it's really difficult to simplify and you really don't want to simplify the Rogue Valley. It's such a creative and dynamic um, region to explore and to taste through. There's more than 70 grape varieties grown here. Um, and despite, you know, Pinot Noir um, dominating, there are a number of producers in the area who make very delicate ethereal Pinot Noirs from high elevation um, and south facing sites and then um, and at, that are you know very uh, comparative to the highest quality Pinot Noirs in the state and then you also have the ability to to grow um, very ripe Zinfandel and Bordeaux varieties that are grown along these um, bench lands of the river systems here. So if you look at this, um, this map here, you have really three distinct valleys. Um, so starting on the western side near the Pacific Ocean, that small, um, that small uh, valley before the Applegate along the Illinois River, the Illinois Valley, is really one of the coolest areas uh, for grape growing in the state and really makes uh, incredibly complex and aromatic um, fruit. So cool climate, aromatic grape varieties, Riesling thrives, Pinot Gris, Muscat, um, and again, Pinot Noir, really successful in this Western um, cool valley, which uh, has really lovely free draining um, soils. It was an ancient river system. Um, and this is sort of something that defines the Rogue Valley as well is that all of these river systems really have tended to move over time. And so all of the vineyards that, that are planted are actually former river systems and riverbeds. And so very free draining, um, pretty nutrient poor um, soil systems that allow for really expressive um, grape growing, um, especially with that diurnal shift as well. The Applegate River runs, um, runs that sort of diagonal um, and it starts in California and runs um, north into the Rogue River Valley. And so this Applegate River Valley, um, the vineyards are, tend to be planted on bench lands here. Um, and then moving further uh, east again, as you get towards Medford and Grants Pass, Grants Pass is the slightly lower elevation area. And as you move further south towards Ashland, you tend to rise in elevation as you move into the Klamath Mountains 
and the Cascades. And so that entire area is uh, the warmest of all areas and, and runs, um, you know, is really dependent on your elevation. Um, so growing everything from Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris uh, through to Bordeaux varieties and Rhone varieties on that eastern side. Um, again, a lot of river system soils, but also um, eroded volcanics coming down into those river valleys and adding some complexity to these soils and clay soils as well, which help to retain the water here. Uh, so we'll go in a little bit into the soils now. So um, the three major soil types are the marine sedimentary bedrock, uh, volcanic um, cascade mountain sediments that have eroded over time and um, traveled with the rain and snow down into the valley floor and Silesia terrains. And then of course, the majority is a lot of these stream sediments and uh, granitic gravels and um, uh, rocky beds that really line a lot of these um, high quality Rhone varietal sites. So ancient soils, these are some of the most ancient soils in all of Oregon in the Rogue Valley. So 200 million years ago, the Pacific Ocean stretches to Idaho until the uh, Juan de Fuca Plate and the North American Plate start to bush up against each other and uh, the Juan de Fuca Plate subducts under the North American Plate. And this raises uh, Oregon out of, the, out of the ocean, if you will. And so we have all of these ocean island pieces and ocean bottom, which are stuck onto the West Coast as these plates smash together and they create some of um, the oldest mountains here in Oregon. So very ancient soils are exposed in the Rogue Valley. Uh, then we have the volcanic uplifts that occur. So 50 million years ago, the Cascade volcanic soils start to form. Uh, and then we have the Silesia volcanic soils forming from underwater volcanoes um, that are erupting and also inland as well. And so these volcanic sediments are primarily in the northern um, part of the state, but also the northern part of southern Oregon. The one thing that um, Southern Oregon isn't influenced by is that um, flood system of the Missoula floods. It doesn't make the, the Missoula floods don't make it down to Southern Oregon. So none of these um, low uh, windblown soils or um, alluvial sediments are from the Missoula floods. So very, um, all of these uh, uh, um, soil series are created um, by the carving of, of um, river systems that uh, are running off the mountains and out to the ocean. So um, all of these ancient river systems um, that create all of these amazing alluvial fans and bench lands around the mouths of the river and the um, each um, left bank and right bank of both the Rogue River and the Applegate River. Um, so flowing out um, the Rogue River has changed course um, many times over its life, and this is where we find some of the most interesting um, Bordeaux and Rhone uh, vineyard sites in, in the Rogue Valley. So very free draining soil, quite poor soil, um, but it also, all of those um, river rocks and sediments um, tend to condense together so that they're really preserving some of the moisture that falls during the winter um, and provides um, you know, a, um, a consistent water supply to the vines. History of grape growing and winemaking in the Rogue Valley. This is such an important uh, valley in terms of history. Um, in the 1850s, um, pioneers and settlers came to this valley um, initially for um, mining purposes, so gold mining purposes, um, and all of the services that surrounded, um, you know, gold mining and mining in general, um, really um, brought a lot of people here in the 1850s. So in uh, Peter Britt was one of those people who came here, uh, and instead uh, of 
you know, following the mining bent, he fell in love with um, the agriculture that could be grown in the area. And he introduced some of the first uh, grapes to the area and founded the first uh, bonded winery in Oregon in 1858. Um, that winery is still around today, although it hasn't always been um, a bonded winery. So it has not, it's not a continuous um, uh, bonded winery, but it's still here. And some of the oldest vineyards in, in the uh, oldest vines in the Rogue Valley are at Valley View Winery in the Applegate Valley, which was founded by Peter Britt. So he brought uh, here originally mission grapes from, Cal from California. And uh, but he also continued to expand and explore his uh, his vineyard and planted almost any grape variety that he could get his hands on, which probably included some of the first Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon and Zinfandel uh, in the state. Uh, and then there's still some very ancient um, Mission grapes and Zinfandel on the property as well. Uh, so the 1870s uh, really was the largest. Um, you know, period pre-prohibition for grape growing in the Rogue Valley. Um, but there were up to 100 acres actually planted at that time. And then with prohibition, most of those plantings ended up getting torn out and being replanted to orchards. So many pear, um, peach, apricot, cherries, um, a real... Um, Mecca for orchard uh, fruit growing uh, in the Rogue Valley. And it's still a very um, important part of the Rogue Valley today. That's one of the things that's also um, pretty interesting about the Rogue when you're down there is that you have so many different uh, viewpoints. It's not just um, a, you know, a valley full of vineyards. There's so many different um, things to do and see. So orchards and hiking and mountain biking and river rafting, there's a lot to do down here um, and, and spend some time. So uh, wineries are just part of the experience in, in the Rogue Valley. So post-prohibition uh, winemaking was really um, thanks to Peter Lombard, uh, who was the agricultural professor at Oregon State University. And he revived um, the grape growing in the valley here in 1967 and really worked with some of the first pioneers, um, post-prohibition pioneers of the valley, um, Dick Troon, the Weisingers, um, uh, the Lane family. And so this, this professor uh, planted test plots of Bordeaux and Rhone varieties and Iberian varieties on the campus and continued to educate and teach um, these new growers who were interested um, in planting vineyards about um, how to grow grapes. Charles Curry, who also um, was in uh, one of the first vineyard um, holders in, in the Willamette Valley, um, actually uh, worked with Dick Troon here to, um, to set up a viticulture course in the Southern Rogue Valley. So um, really investing in the small group of intrepid farmers who are looking to plant um, grapes down here. Uh, so Dick Troon, you see him there, um, planted grapes uh, in 1972. Oops, none of my things are lined up. Um, and he really focused on some really beautiful varieties, Zinfandel, um, Bordeaux varieties, Vermentino, Tanat, um, a lot of different grape varieties were grown there and continue to be grown at Troon Vineyard. Um, and we'll go into Troon a little bit later in the Applegate Valley. Uh, so in 1991, uh, the Rogue Valley AVA was officially recognized by the TTB, and then in 2000, um, it received its first nested AVA, the Applegate Valley. So you can see those two regions in those little um, uh, cutouts. So um, really starting to uh, get a developed and core group of winemakers by the early 2000s. And then in 2009, there are nearly 2,000 acres under vine and 
113 vineyards with about 42 bonded wineries. But by 2020, in just 10 years, both uh, the planted acreage and the number of wineries has tripled in size and the number of vineyards has doubled. So showing the real interest um, and ability to enter the market and explore the Rogue Valley down here. So um, it's pretty accessible and the grape varieties are pretty interesting to be able to work with. Uh, so many of um, the northern um, states wineries are also working with fruit from the from the Rogue Valley as well. And uh, Rogue Valley is um, you know, it, it is not uh, often seen on labels uh, so much in the north, but a lot of the Pinot Noir that is grown in the Rogue Valley actually supports a lot of the Oregon appellated, AV, um, appellated wines in the state. So um, usually about one in four of your bottles of wine are coming from the Rogue Valley. Uh, and biodynamics and regenerative and organic farming really thrive in the Rogue Valley as well. Because of these um, hot, dry summers, there's very low disease pressure in the Rogue Valley. And also because of these um, you know, forceful winds that come in off the Pacific, by the time they reach the Applegate um, and Bear Creek Valleys, they're quite dry, these winds. And so there's really very low disease pressure. And so we find um, when you're in the area talking to farmers and grape growers, there's a really a lot of organic farming and not just organic grape growing, uh, but organic farming and regenerative farming in general. Um, and this is an image of uh, the first uh, regenerative organic certified farm in, in or winery in the state, which is Troon Vineyard. Um, and we've got an intern there who's um, filling cow horns with biodynamic preparations and also introducing um, sheep into the vineyard and onto the land to create that full circle um, approach to farming practices. Uh, the Applegate Valley specifically are um, really uh, deep into biodynamics and very it's a very deep part of the culture in that area and a lot of community building and sharing of information um, sharing of biodynamic preps and of um, machinery as well happens in uh, the Applegate Valley so an area to keep your eye on um, for really um, transparent and and naturally farmed wines and now a word from our sponsor did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers, the Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the final four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stocked the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. So the Rogue Valley itself, as I mentioned, was... Um, created in 1991. Um, its total area is about 5,600 acres of land. Um, and no, five, sorry, it's two and a half million. Um, and then planted area is about 5,000 acres, uh, nearly 6,000 acres. So the predominant soils are mainly the stream sediments, and you can see the detailed depth of the Rogue River and the Applegate Valley in this area. And if you look at the Grants Pass region, 
This area is really a slightly lower elevation as it comes into the town of Grants Pass and really follows the river through Gold Creek and this um, east-west flow of the, of the Rogue River, which creates an ability to have uh, both north and south facing vineyards. Um, and this, when talking to um, growers at Del Rio um, and winemakers there, they're really looking for these cooler, um, these cooler um, north facing sites to be able to grow their Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and get really minerally um, vibrant um, acid and fruit profiles in their um, Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays. Um, they also grow a lot of Pinot Gris in this area. It's a nice wide um, a sort of an amphitheater of a basin that captures um, a good amount of heat during the summer, um, but also you're able to take advantage of these different aspects of slope and, um, and valley floor aspects. So as you move further south, you start to get into um, a little bit more of these uh, volcanic um, uplifts um, that have really, um, you have a lot of degraded volcanics as well, which create a lot of diversity of soils here um, and make for wines that can be um, very long lived and very structured. Um, they are important because you have a lot of clay in these soils as well. And that clay helps to retain some of the um, water um, for the growing season. So not relying so much on irrigation and really um, winemakers and grape growers in this area are experts with deficit irrigation to make sure that they're balancing the plant's um, ability to um, create and set fruit and build ripeness and flavor, um, really deep complex flavors in their um, Bordeaux varieties and Rhone varieties. And some of the most exciting Malbecs um, and Bordeaux blends are coming out of um, this er this little area just um, just east of Medford along the I five corridor there. Uh, so you're starting to still be on valley on uh, old alluvial, alluvial riverbed systems, but you're starting to get those um, imprints of um, deep volcanics uh, and a lot of cobbles in the soils as well. So really. Um, getting some nice complexity from that complexity of soils and the, um, and the ripeness that comes from having the reflection of these darker soils and also the cobbles that are along the vineyards in this area. Um, they really reflect back onto the grapes and create incredibly um, complex savory Syrahs um, and Grenache varieties um, and Cabernets as well. Um, really supple tannin profile um, that winemakers have to watch not to over extract, um, but there's a lot of structure and a lot of complexity to these wines. Uh, and the majority of these wines are very accessible. Um, they're quite, you know, the tasting rooms are open. Um, what I love is that the tasting rooms here are often open until like seven or eight at night. And you're having, you know, you're able to enjoy these tasting rooms right after work or at the end of your day after you've been out hiking or biking or on the river um, and enjoy some really fine wines here that are um, often less than, you know, 40 or $50. So super approachable wines. Uh, we just need to get more of them out in distribution. Uh, moving south into Ashland, you start to get into these really high elevations here, and the gap in the um, the gap in the uh, in the mountains starts to narrow here, and so winds really can accelerate pretty quickly through um, this. Uh, the Cascades and the Klamaths here in, in this area. So the soils here tend to be more deep sandstone as well. So very free draining. Um, the, um, the roots have to dig very deep for nutrients, um, but it makes some really vibrant uh, and fine Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays. And also again, Malbecs are really excelling in this area as well. Um, that is the majestic Rogue River. It is um, pretty dynamic to, um, to, go, to go rafting through this river uh, and it's freezing cold, so just be warned, but it is beautiful. So those, um, these river and tributaries of the Rogue, the Illinois, the Applegate and the Bear Creek uh, 
Bear Creek rivers are really what defines the Rogue Valley. Um, and again, that Illinois Valley being very um, aromatic, perfumed grape varieties, Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Gewurztraminer, Muscat, uh, Pinot Gris, uh, very fresh, very acid driven, um, Pinot Noir that is very forested and raspberry and strawberry flavors, um, really exotic, um, high acid, delicate, ethereal wines out in the Illinois Valley. And then moving into the Applegate, you still get a lot of those grape varieties on higher elevations because again, we're still at around 1600 feet elevation for a lot of the vineyards here. Um, and so they're very um, fresh, bright flavors of wines. Um, and then as you move towards the east, you start to get into that wider, warmer Bear Creek Valley, where the amphitheater um, of the site and the cascades really start to hold in a lot of that warmth and heat in the summer, um, which allows us to really ripen um, beautiful Cabernet Sauvignon and Malbec and Merlot and Grenache and Syrah on that eastern side as well. So each valley getting progressively warmer and drier as they move um, from the west to the east, further away from the Pacific. Um, and again, a pretty, pretty complex and diverse array of grapes and wine styles being made here. So you can really start to explore the Rogue Valley um, by getting into, you know, some fun wines like um, sparkling Pinot Gris um, and uh, fresh citrus driven Chardonnay um, that then move into some of the more savory food, food friendly styles of wines, those Rhone varieties and Bordeaux varieties. Uh, so this is an image of Del Rio vineyards that are located just outside of Grants Pass. So they're just to the southeast of Grants Pass. And this vineyard, although it doesn't look like it here, it rises um, fairly quickly from, you know, about 800 feet up to about um, 1600 feet. And as you move further up the hill, you're getting into more of the um, perfumed and floral Pinot Noirs that they make uh, from this site. Um, it's one of the largest vineyards and wineries. This is not their only vineyard, um, but this is an, a pretty important um, vineyard and winery in terms of production of, of very high quality, but very accessible market entry, um, Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Uh, and they're also having a lot of fun with their joy wines that are um, really um, pretty uh, engaging and just really fun to drink um, when you're on the river or going hiking as well. So lower alcohols, fresher fruit flavors, um, and a lot of complexity coming from this vineyard, depending on where you harvest your fruit from. So when you're visiting this northern part of the Rogue Valley, you can really find everything from Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris through to Malbec um, as well in this, in this area and Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. Um, but a really um, well-established farming family in the north here um, that is part of this um, really important community or an important part of this community. Then as we move um, south, we're heading to Medford. So the town of Medford, which you can just see in the distance there, um, Roxy Ann Vineyard sits under the Roxy Ann Peak. And that's one of those basaltic um, volcanic columns um, that seem to be stacked. It's an incredibly vibrant um, countryside down here where Roxy Ann and Cresel and Two Hawk um, are all located along this eastern side of the benchlands. Um, and you can see, so behind the vineyard, you're starting to get into more scrub bush. And then as you're looking towards the south and, and west, you're, you're starting to see more of those um, conifers um, and, and um, typical, you know, forested scenes. Um, this vineyard is, is very well known for its great Grenache and Merlot and um, Rhone varieties here as well. So you can see from the soils, they're pretty free draining. Again, um, sustainability is really key in these areas. And most wineries that you speak to are really working hard in the vineyard. You can see the cover crop here that's, you know, maintaining um, soil carbon and bringing diversity and protecting that evaporation 
saturation of water and really slowing down um, the competition within the vines there as well, allowing for a really delayed um, delayed ripening process that just builds complexity. So. Um, the more you know, competition and health in the vineyard that we can have, the more complex and slower ripening the fruit becomes, which adds to really complex flavors and um, fully ripe and supple tannins at harvest. Um, and you can see in the in the distance there, there's um, orchards as well on this property. And then just east of Ashland is the um, absolutely stunning Irvine and Roberts Vineyard and Winery, um, and you can see. Here here in this picture, this is looking towards the Cascades. So you're looking east here, but again, you can see the um, compression and the rippling of um, the, the Cascades here and those um, really important volcanic and basaltic um, and sandstone outcrops um, that are just, you can see that there's so little topsoil here that these vines uh, really have to establish themselves pretty quickly and grow really deep root systems um, to be able to uh, access uh, water and nutrients in the soil here. Um, and this vineyard is one of their younger vineyards that they've um, just planted. Um, and Irvine and Roberts, they're very high elevation. So their sites are 1600 to 2000 feet. Um, the wind through here is pretty dramatic as well, uh, but they really focus on Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier and Chardonnay. So very uh, delicate, um, fresh, um, ethereal styles of Pinot Noir, a little riper than you'll find to the north, but definitely not as ripe as what you would find um, in, say, you know, Alexander Valley or some of the Californian areas. Uh, so they walk this really beautiful um, line of having deep fruit flavors. But because of the diurnal shift um, that happens between nighttime and daytime temperatures here, the acid is really preserved and the freshness and aromatic fruit flavors are really lifted and bringing to, uh, brought to the fore. Uh, and again, this is an organically farmed vineyard and um, you know, there's just so many um, organically farmed sustainable wineries in this area. It's a really beautiful place to visit. So moving into the Applegate Valley, we're starting to move to the west of Ashland. So if you travel west of Ashland, you will um, run into Jacksonville, um, which is an adorable town that looks like an old gold mining town, which it is. Um, but there's um, just a really beautiful, um, you know, Shakespeare Festival. Um, there's a lot of uh, fantastic uh, farm to table restaurants here in Ashland um, and in Jacksonville. And that entire area is really um, getting quite renowned for the quality of the produce that comes from the area and just how much um, support there is for all of that food um, and great uh, food and wine in the local restaurants. So really a place to watch is Ashland and then Jacksonville, uh, which is just west of it in the, at the beginning of the Applegate Valley. So this Applegate River system, you can see the road actually follows um, the river um, up to Highway 9, but there's several roads that crisscross the valley, um, the Applegate River Valley here, and really allow for a lot of um, varied um, vineyard um, growing aspects. The majority of vineyards in the Applegate Valley are high elevation sites, but a lot of them are planted on alluvial stream sediments because like the Rogue River, the Applegate River has um, moved several times. It was um, typically much higher and it's moved down lower um, as you know, as the whole region has changed over, over the millennia. Um, the Applegate River does um, begin in the um, Siskiyous and Klamaths in California and that flows north into the Rogue River um, in Grants Pass. Uh, so Tom, I would say that Forest is one of those wineries that are that really make really lovely ethereal Pinot Noirs. There's also Danson um, and then Irvine and Roberts uh, because of that 
um, heightened elevation, again, really makes beautiful Pinot Noirs as well. Um, I have been so impressed with the quality of Pinot Noir in this region um, that I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more um, producers um, really focusing on it instead of selling fruit to the north. Um, the, the Pinot Noir is, is really expressive coming from this region. And then you also get the deep... Um, you know, the really deep peppery, savory um, Syrahs and Grenaches as well. And just because of this high elevation and the freshness of the sites, there's a lot of um, really food friendly wines coming out of this area that have, you know, lower alcohol levels or moderate alcohol levels, ripe fruit, um, but vibrant acidity as well. Um, one of those producers is uh, Herb Quaddy in the Applegate Valley as well, um, who's really had um, quite a long relationship with those Rhone varieties. Um, so Syrah um, is what he really focuses on, um, but also Cabernet Franc and Merlot uh, and Vermentino all grow really well in the Applegate here. Um, so this valley is starting to carve out a little name for itself um, for being a little more Mediterranean in its approach. Um, so you get everything from Syrah and Grenache and Massan Roussan and Viognier uh, through to Vermentino and a little bit of Merlot, um, Cabernet Franc, uh, really vibrant wines. And Quaddy North just have a beautiful, just opened a really beautiful new winery um, and tasting room facility out in the Applegate um, on his property where you're surrounded by um, old vineyards as old vines as well. Um, it's there's so many um, high elevation sites and so many mountain ranges in the Applegate um, Valley that you feel um, almost like you can't look out, you know, like there's a lot of um, shading and shadowing and it's just, it feels very alpine and very, very stunning. So all of these um, stream sediments and benchlands um, reveal a lot of fractured granites and other cobbles in the vineyard as well. So the soils are much more free draining. Um, again, it's a very organic and biodynamic focused region um, and really excels in some of these medium bodied, um, fairly complex uh, Southern Rhone, Southwestern France, Iberian varieties. And one of these uh, wineries, Plaisance Ranch, is a vineyard that's on the benchlands on the west bank of the Applegate River, um, slightly closer to Grants Pass, but it uh, has the Applegate River flowing right behind it. And uh, Joe Janay is the grower here. He runs a, um, he raises cattle, organic um, farmed cattle, as well as planting probably some of the most um, diverse grape varieties in one vineyard in, in Southern Oregon. So um, he has Mondeuse and Savion Blanc and Viognier um, and Persan and uh, really um, is following uh, a lot of his uh, family's heritage, which although he's born and raised in the Rogue Valley, um, his family uh, comes from the Savoie region in France. And so he's really followed um, that path. and. Many people don't know, but Plaisance Ranch was an important provider of uh, rootstock when UC Davis um, had given out a AXR1 to a lot of uh, wineries and vineyards in California, and those uh, rootstocks started to fall susceptible to phylloxera. Uh, the Genes uh, have a rootstock nursery that they supply many um, clean plant materials to the universities in California and even as far as uh, Canada, um, the Okanagan and Toronto for, for these, um, these plant material and rootstocks. So a really important contributor to, to the Applegate Valley. Um, it's uh, a lot of fun to visit out here. Uh, yes, Simple Machine. Pinot Noir. I love the wines from Simple Machine. There's so many fun uh, producers. There's a collective now um, in um, Talent that has three or four different producers in there um, where you can taste you know, all of their different wines from. And it's such a treat to taste everything from Sangiovese through to Malbec through to Tanat uh, in that area. 
So this is um, Troon Vineyard on the western side of the, um, uh, sorry, the eastern side, the right bank of the Apple Great River. Um, Troon has recently been in the press, I'm sure many of you have seen, uh, for becoming the first certified uh, regenerative organic winery and vineyard. And uh, what that means for this area is just a huge leap in a lot of knowledge sharing about how to bring um, animals and do animal husbandry in the vineyard, um, how to um, nourish the soils through um, organic animal compost and fertilizer. Um, it's a real treat to visit out here and visit their production. They're spending a lot of um, really good time and money on education of not only the vineyards and wineries in the region, but explaining the importance of biodynamics and regenerative organic um, farming to the to the consumer as well. Um, so definitely, yeah, Catalyst Wine Collective and Talent, amazing place to visit, and some really fun young winemakers who are, who are making really high quality wines in uh, in that collective space as well. Uh, and Troon recently, so Dick Troon was one of the first to plant vines in the Applegate Valley um, and really came together with um, the Lane family to expand their plantings and then um, the Schmitz and um, and the Janais to all share that, that wealth of knowledge of planting in the late 70s and 80s. Um, and many of those vines have had to be replaced. But what they learned from a lot of those vines that were in place, the Vermentino, the Zinfandel, um, and the Tanat, they've learned that, you know, there's a lot of diversity that can really be supported in this vineyard. And so the Troon team are exploring even further with um, Fiano and um, some other, you know, Italian and, and um, uh, Mansang and all of these different vibrant Southwest and Italian and Iberian varieties in the region. So it's going to be a fun place to keep your eye on and, and to watch for and, um, and, and explore all of the wines that are coming out of Troon. Uh, so that's one of the images of harvesting Vermentino. Uh, so you can see how just how vibrant that vineyard is. Um, still at the end of harvest, really lush, healthy vines and beautiful golden Vermentino clusters sitting there. And then this is uh, Cowhorn Vineyard. Um, this is on a further tributary of the um, Applegate River heading more towards Illinois and is actually um, the vineyard that is closest to the California border. Um, so just over those hills is, is California. Um, but this is a very wild um, vineyard. It's um, a lot of head trained vines, um, primarily Rhone varieties. So Grenache, Syrah, um, Masan, Rusan. There's a little bit of Tempranillo here as well, um, but biodynamically certified and biodynamically made wine. Um, and as you can see, it's slightly um, more dry and a little more um, wild and uh, dry brushlands than uh, the other side of the Applegate River Valley. So even within such a short river valley, there's so much complexity um, of soil, of microclimate, in this place. It's um, a really beautiful, um, it's a really beautiful area to explore um, and really rich, intense flavored wines that have great freshness and transparency and really reflect the climate and the growing season down here. Um, and there's more and more winemakers that are um, continuing this path in, in the Rogue Valley of um, organics and biodynamics and showing real, real restraint um, in the cellar uh, and putting all of uh, this great creative work um, into the vineyard. Um, that's the end of the presentation. Are there any questions out there from anyone? I know it's a bit of a whirlwind to come through the Rogue Valley when there's so many different grape varieties um, and regions that are really, um, you know, micro regions, sub regions that are really um, quite impressive and quite a lot to discover. You could honestly spend a week here 
um, every, <laughs> every month or every other week just to get to know um, the entire valley down here. And the amazing thing about the Rogue is that it's continually changing. It is such a um, place that is really fun to explore um, and continuing to change all the time. Peter William Winery, yes, also making some great wines. And that's the beautiful thing is that the comparison cross um, across price points for the Rogue Valley wines, um, you know, in comparison to some other regions like uh, Walla Walla or the Willamette, um, there's a lot of um, very affordable wines in this area as well. I think that's generally, so the question was, um, what is more economical? Is it, um, is it you know, orchards or vineyards um, in regards to the inputs and the spraying? Um, you know, I think that um, there's a good balance of both here. There's a lot of um, uh, wineries and vineyards that also um, grow, grow fruit um, and you know, orchard fruit. And so I think, what that means is that it's just a region that's not homogenized by the grape or by wineries. Um, and so they really um, do, it's a very true agricultural region where they're farming for, you know, quality fruit and quality grapes. Um, and you can sort of farm them side by side. Uh, you see a lot of, you know, the uh, vineyards that are more on the valley floor are um, there's not so many vineyards on valley floors the orchards are better on the valley floors and then as you start to creep up into the um, surrounding hillsides is where you really start to get the grapes coming in um, and it's you know high quality um, production there but they're often um, they're often uh, grown by the same people um, there's even a couple of wineries who, you know, who do both farm to table, you know, you can go and you pick fruit and also then go and have a tasting. So there's um, some fun, some fun events out there. Um, there was a question about distribution. Talk a little bit about distribution strategies for smaller and mid-sized wineries in the Rogue Valley. Um, you know, I think the, one of the not issues, <laughs> not issues, but one of the challenges, you know, for rogue um, wineries is that they have such a uh, localized fan base um, that a lot of them sell out. Um, a lot of the wineries um, are less than, you know, th around 3,000 cases or 5,000 cases, which is not too sim dissimilar to the Willamette Valley by any means. But the surrounding areas of, you know, Medford, Grants Pass, Ashland um, really support their wineries. And um, so there hasn't really been a huge need for distribution from the Rogue Valley. Um, however, you know, there are some uh, Troon, uh, Quaddy North, uh, Irvine and Roberts, um, they all have distribution and, you know, most of the distribution that suits them are, um, you know, smaller, obviously smaller distributors um, around the US uh, and ones that are used to, I guess, um, you know, smaller family farms and organic family farms. So small French producers, um, you know, or with a focus on, on some French um, and Spanish and small Italian producers, but generally um, smaller distributors would be able to um, better position a lot of the wineries from the Rogue Valley because not all of them have, you know, the volume of like Del Rio to be able to support um, larger distributors. And they're definitely, Del Rio is definitely well distributed, um, especially in the Northwest here. But a lot of the others, you know, are, are only having, you know, a handful of wines available at a time. But if you're looking for uh, the wines around the country, you'd look out for Del Rio, Quaddy, Troon, uh, Urban and Roberts, Roxy Ann. Um, there's, there's a fair few that are well distributed. Uh, and then yes, there's always the best way to support everyone is through Wine Club and the Rogue Valley um, Wineries Association, Rogue Valley Vintners, um, has just actually launched its own wine club. So if you are interested, you can definitely, um, Gina's just put the link to that Rogue Valley Wine Country.com wine club. 
Um, they'll be sourcing, um, sommelier sourcing and um, putting together shipments uh, and the next shipment goes out in June. So if you're interested and in the US, please sign up for, for that to get a taste of the Rogue Valley at home and then come and visit. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in today. I really appreciated you coming and learning about the Rogue. Come out and visit when the next time you're headed to Oregon. It really is a spectacular region to visit um, and is not just about wine, but it's a great, uh, it's a great region to explore both the uh, topography and geology of the region through the wines in the glass. Um, so Resource Studio, um, this deck can be made available as well. And there's also the Resource Studio, which you can download and, uh, you know, talk about, yeah, be able to transform your own decks and presentations. Um, if you do have any questions about um, downloading any of the Resource Studio decks, please reach out to myself or to David um, and then continue to watch for more Oregon Wine Month webinars. We've got at least two more and I think we have a third um, that we're going to focus on some future farming and have some really uh, interesting farmers uh, on the panel there, one of them who will be from the Rogue. So um, be sure to tune in for that. I think David has that up on the website now to sign up for. Um, it's going to be a really great session. So we've got three more to go um, and get out there and uh, drink some more Oregon wine. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lurie Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. You are so special, you even in the Bible. Give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, red wine.